What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. For today's episode, I'm super excited to bring you this interview with Nick Batia. Nick Batia is the famous writer of the legendary article, The Time Value of BTC. Um, they, Nick is coming out with a brand new book called Layered Money. And in this interview, we talk about what is layered money how layered money works with Bitcoin, how layered money came to be in history and with the legacy system, and really talk about like how the existing system is going to deal with the existence of Bitcoin and how the existing system is going to on-ramp to Bitcoin. This is a really, really interesting conversation about how money works, how money worked in the past, how money will work with Bitcoin. Nick is one of the leading thinkers on this topic. So you got to listen to this interview. This is really, really five-star, five-star content. But before we get into it, I want to talk about our sponsor. It is Level. That's right, LVL.co. So Level's been sponsoring the show for a while now, LVL.co. It is a new type of Bitcoin bank and savings account. Instead of thinking of a Bitcoin exchange as like a brokerage, Level wants to be a fintech company that builds with Bitcoin. So they give you an FDIC checkings account, but they also give you a Bitcoin wallet and they give you free and no fee exchanges with no hidden spread, nothing, absolutely free trading between your wallet and your checking account. And they want to be the hub for all of your Bitcoin banking. So in the future with Level, let's say you're a Level customer, you're getting paid in fiat from your job, you're getting that direct deposited into your Level account. You can set how much of that you want to be automatically transferred into Bitcoin. So with Level, you could get paid in BTC if you wanted to. You could do a 10%, 90%, 70%, 30%, whatever you are comfortable with. Level wants you to be banking with Bitcoin. If you want a personal Bitcoin standard, Level is the place for you to achieve that with full fiat exchanging and everything like that and no fees whatsoever. Check out LVL.co today. I think it's really exciting that we have on-ramps that are moving in this direction of more of a challenger bank style. So very excited for Level and very excited to see where they push Bitcoin. All right, guys, that is enough from me. Let's get right into this show with Nick Batia. I am here talking to Nick Batia. I think this is like the third or fourth time we've actually done an interview, but always an absolute pleasure. And just this morning, you dropped a really, really awesome piece talking about the combination or the, the collision between the bond market and the Bitcoin market, something that you are passionate about and extremely I guess, well-suited to speak about. But for people who are not as familiar with you, Nick, I guess, first of all, welcome to the show. But why don't you kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Christian. It's really a pleasure to be here. I recently announced that the Kindle version of the book is available for pre-order, but the book is not out yet. The book will be out on January 26th. It's called Layered Money from golden dollars to Bitcoin and central bank digital currencies. The book is a culmination of a few years of research, just really starting with my background in global macroeconomics and financial markets. 
and continuing with my research into Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. And so over the past several years, really all this research coalesced around the thesis that Bitcoin has the potential to become the world reserve currency in a digital future. And I decided to write a book dedicated to pushing that message out. And I'm extremely excited to share it with the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I really liked, at least in the preface for the book, the historical angle that you took and how you've really taken the Bitcoin to gold analogy to the next level and kind of threw out your work so far and and what I anticipate you're going to explain further in the book, you know, explaining how the layers and money kind of come to be and get built up and what it takes to be, a, you know, the foundation for the future layer. Yeah, um, Bitcoin is such a unique asset because it does not come from anybody's balance sheet. And today in our international monetary system, all money is some sort of derivative of somebody's balance sheet. The dollar is that you hold is either a liability of the Federal Reserve or a liability of some commercial bank and the private banking sector if you have deposits, for example. So Bitcoin is not a liability of anybody's balance sheet. It's similar to gold, and that's why Bitcoin gets the the moniker digital gold, because it's an asset that you can keep in your pocket. It's not a counterparty risk of any other institution, a government, central bank, or a bank. And so Bitcoin is, by definition, a first-layer money. People call it the base layer in the Bitcoin world. You know, I'm calling it the first layer of money alongside or in a parallel to how gold started and how money started with gold, where gold was this base layer asset. And then a financial system was built on top of it, basically a system of promises. And all these promises I classify as layers of money. So I'm really excited to share the book with these pyramid graphics that show uh, through time how gold evolved into a whole layered system of promises, gold certificates, and eventually gold was taken out of the monetary system altogether. Bitcoin is a new asset. It's not part of the current dollar system. It's independent of that, which is so unique and incredible about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin will, in the future, and it already is, the first layer of an entirely new financial system. So the first thing that you can think about is an exchange deposit, right? If people keep Bitcoin on an exchange, that is not Bitcoin. That is a liability of an exchange. So that would be a second layer of Bitcoin. Right. And that second of layer of Bitcoin comes with counterparty risk. It comes with the risk that your exchange will default, be hacked or, you know, have its coin stolen or just default. And so within it, we can already see that Bitcoin has its own layered financial system alongside it. That's going to develop in the future. And I do think eventually that the digital currencies issued by central banks and by banks alike will fall underneath Bitcoin in a new layered uh, system for, our, for the international monetary system. 
Very, very interesting. And I love how you kind of articulated, you know, how the layering goes. And again, I'm sure the book with the visuals and examples is a great way to kind of better understand that. But speaking about, you know, eventually central banks pegging their currency to Bitcoin is effectively what you're saying. Others have said that before. Jeff Booth was on FedWatch recently and said something very similar to that. You know, kind of on that train is this idea which you published this morning, which is the bond market and the Bitcoin market kind of coming together. I'm really getting kicked off with Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy's recent move earlier this week to put out a private convertible note with the intention of buying Bitcoin. Let's just jump straight into your thoughts. Like what was what was going through your head when that news actually, you know, hit the the newsreel and, and hit Twitter? Yeah, so it the news actually I took it in stride because MicroStrategy has been so mega bullish Bitcoin and Sailor honestly just going off and, you know, pre, you know, becoming the evangelist that the corporate world, you know, hadn't seen yet. And the fact that they were doing it didn't necessarily surprise me. You know, people had talked about that this type of thing could happen. But when I thought about the fact that when I remembered back to my days on the trading desk, when the moment when the bond settles and the money leaves, start, you know, leaves the accounts of people and goes to the account of MicroStrategy, that moment, a lot of, you know, capital market activity happens around that time when corporate new issues happen. When a corporate new issue happens and it settles, at the time when it settles, the company is doing a hedge or other people are trying to put on trades in the rates markets. And I thought that it just hit me that that moment now, which the bonds settle, they're going to be a flurry of Bitcoin transactions. And, you know, that type of activity just has never happened before. And that kind of sparked my imagination as to what, you know, what it's going to look like in the future if other companies start doing this. Now you're going to need, you know, a coordinator. So let's back it up for a second and talk about a new issue and a hedge that a company might do, okay? On a desk. So a company issues a couple billion in bonds and has a project in England, for example. It's an American corporation, but as a project over there in the UK that it's planning to invest this, this couple billion in. And it does its math, its projections, its financial projections in a way that if they issue the bond today and they convert the dollars to British pounds today at today's exchange rate, they will have budgeted appropriately for their project. They don't want to have any surprises. They want pounds today, but they have to issue in dollars. So the, the point at which, at the point at time in which, at which the bond settles in dollars, they immediately have their bank ready to swap that into pounds. So that foreign exchange swap swap transaction happens simultaneously with the bond issue, not the announcement of it, but the actual settlement of it. And so the pressure on the pound dollar exchange rate at that time, at that moment in time, there's going to be a pressure on the price which pounds are bid, right? Because you have 2 billion of buy of pounds. 
in that one moment. And so if you look at the chart of pounds, dollars at that one moment, you might see a rally in the pound and you might know that that was a direct result of this bond issue. Just because the company that issued the bond has a project in the UK, right? That they need to invest in. So now let's think about that's going to happen with Bitcoin, <laughs> right? This now it's it's not a pound purchase a purchase of pounds for a project. It's a purchase of Bitcoin because of a particular and unique Treasury Reserve allocation strategy. Nobody else really has this way of allocating its uh, reserves that we know about that they're public about, and so this process, this bond issuance process. The moment at which it settles, there's going to be a buy pressure on the Bitcoin price. And I, so I don't know exactly how they're planning to do it and how they're planning to invest that money. And I'm sure that they have people at the company that are dedicated to having the money, you know, having the Bitcoin buys happen in a way where they don't, you know, shock the market. But it still is the first time we've seen anything like this where we have a particular $400 million bond that when it settles, they're supposed to buy Bitcoin with it. So it's going to be fascinating to watch and probably, you know, nothing will happen to the price that's more dramatic than anything else we've ever seen in Bitcoin. We are, you know, we expect moves of a couple thousand dollars in a couple hours. That's just part of what Bitcoin does now. And it's done that for, for several years now. So, but it just, it's a, it's a fascinating thought experiment. And so I just decided to write something about it. Well, I mean, the idea of companies doing this is extremely bullish because that's the tenets of the concept behind the speculative attack is you trade softer, weaker currency or bonds denominated in softer, weaker currency for harder currency. And while Michael Saylor doesn't like calling it that, and he prefers to have a much more PC kind of angle around what he's doing, uh, in practice, that's kind of what it is. Have, like, what are your thoughts around that? And I mean, obviously, the reason why we're interested in it is because it's bullish for Bitcoin. Right. So people call it speculative attack. Speculative attack. It's, I simply call it arbitrage. And so it, arbitrage is when there's a price of something here and a price of something there, and you think there's there's money to be made between two things. And so that's the basis of all capital market activity is that one person and another person don't necessarily see eye to eye on value. And so there's a trade to be had. And so anybody issuing a bond in dollars and buying Bitcoin with it is engaging in an arbitrage trade in which you sell dollars to buy Bitcoin today and you'll use Bitcoin in the future to you know, buy back the dollars to pay back the debt. So it's just because it's not, it's not a guaranteed trade, you know, it doesn't mean we can't call it arbitrage. They are engaged in arbitrage because they think that this is the right way to reconcile between these two currencies over a longer term time horizon. I'm sure that MicroStrategy will not be issuing 90 day bills to buy Bitcoin with in the near future or any other company that's trying to copy. They're not going to be issuing 30-day, 90-day paper in the commercial paper market, for example, to buy Bitcoin to pay back in 90 days because 
from a volatility perspective, historically, that would be a grave mistake. But if you're issuing a several-year bond, let's say a five-year bond, historically, that has worked out 100% of the time. And the 90-day one, historically, will be as close to 50-50 as anything else. So you would never do it on a 90-day bond or a bill. So my point is that the arbitrage that they're engaged in is a five-year time horizon arbitrage. It's, it's a speculative attack because an article was written called speculative attack several years describing this exact situation. So, you, you know, the, the right to call it a speculative attack is, is absolutely correct, you know, in my opinion. But, you know, it can, it can also be called just arbitrage. That makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes Bitcoiners come in hot with fiery language and sometimes it's probably better to use something that's a little bit more uh, PC. So, I mean, arbitrage is more probably more accurate to what he is doing and a true speculative attack as Pierre Richard indicated would be something a lot more akin to issuing, you know, 30 day, 90 days, something like that. And then, you know, making a, a, a true like, you know, attack, yeah. you know, but it is interesting I, to see. I do think yeah. that, uh, if we saw an attack, we would know it was one, right? We would see just a nonstop flurry of short paper and really an effort to dump one currency for another. Yeah. And so we might see this type of arbitrage in an attack sort of scenario, but this clearly is not that yet. Well, what I think, again, is is the core of it, though, is Michael Saylor was in position to take advantage of this kind of arbitrage, and he's not the only CEO that is. He is the only one that has woken up to Bitcoin and started to value Bitcoin in that way. So it's very interesting to see him kind of pave the way and, like you said, be a, an example for the corporate world to start jumping into this asset class. Yeah, there's so many different sleeves of corporate cash. There's corporate cash that corporations keep or that they raise to buy back shares. There's cash that they raise to invest in projects. There's cash that they raise for a rainy day. And there's cash that they raise to make speculative investments in their own research and development. There's cash that they raise to buy startups that are speculative. So raising cash to buy Bitcoin can be thought of as like Apple raising a couple billion and going and, you know, spraying and praying, buying 50 startups that all, you know, program parts of iOS, for example, or something like that, where they're just, you know, trying to acquire all the brightest minds that they can with you know, with money and engaging in that type of activity. So what MicroStrategy is doing is investing in bit, like raising money to invest in Bitcoin for whatever reason that you can, you know, they can even say that we're doing it as a treasury reserve asset, but they could be buying the Bitcoin to be building, you know, to be playing with it and to be building an infrastructure with it we, that we don't really necessarily know about. And it's part of some research and development project that they're doing. So buying, you know, issuing a bond to buy Bitcoin is something that we could see from more companies in the future. And the reasons that they give for doing it might completely vary from one company to the next. 
Sure. And I mean, the, we saw both MicroStrategy and Square kind of enter the public company Bitcoin treasury game in very, very different ways and citing very, very different reasons. So I suspect you're going to be spot on with that prediction. Kind of, you know, moving on to talking about, you know, layered money, you're obviously extremely, extremely knowledgeable about the bond market and the different ways that entities can leverage bonds in order to, you know, raise capital and such. Can you kind of talk about like your ideas around where the current system is today and what it looks like for Bitcoin to start to seep in? I know you kind of touch on that slightly with this article about MicroStrategy, but can you kind of talk about Bitcoin and the current system today and, you know, how does this gargantuan structure you know, start to play with this first layer money that that we're seeing? It's a great question, Christian, and it gives me the opportunity to share a part of the book that I haven't really talked about yet. And people are going to read about this and they are, I'm hoping that it will spark the imagination of people that are on both sides of the fence, people that understand and are, and support Bitcoin for it's the freedom that it gives people and also understanding that governments and central banks are always going to try to issue currencies and how do we reconcile these two worlds so i think that the future is a world of atomic swaps between assets bitcoin will be the ultimate asset in that world and i do believe that central bank digital currencies and bank issued digital tokens, digital assets, stable coins, whatever you want to call them, crypto dollars even. In the future, the ones that are relevant will all be in one system which in which all the digital assets in the system can be atomically swapped for each other without a middleman across ledgers, across blockchains, across platforms. And ultimately, people will have the ability to settle in Bitcoin in that system and pay the price that they pay. And Bitcoin will hold Bitcoin and its scarcity and uh, its security will hold the entire system in check because in an atomic swap, there is no middleman to, to manipulate the price. My vision for the future is one in which Bitcoin is at the center of an entire digital asset realm. And the only assets that will be relevant in that realm are be the, are going to be the ones that you can atomically swap for Bitcoin. That makes sense. Kind of like taking a step back, let's talk about like the concept of layer money in general and, and kind of go from like first principles of like how money became layered, you know, the, the system that we, the layered system that we operate in today, like how did that come to be? Sure. So at the beginning, just think of it as gold and gold certificates. In in 16th century England, for example, goldsmiths would take custody of people's gold coins and issue gold certificates or gold deposits. And those certificates or deposits, pieces of paper eventually started to circulate as cash because people inherently accepted a second layer gold. They didn't necessarily need to always exchange coins with each other. There were trustworthy goldsmiths that issued trustworthy certificates 
that people decided to use as money itself. And so to us, we can see from several hundred years of history that people are willing to accept promises to pay money in addition to the money itself. And so as the system evolved over time, gold, the promise to pay gold by the United States was removed from the system, 1971. And since then, we have a system in which the Federal Reserve issues money to the banking system, and the banking system issues money to the public. So in this layered model, the people are actually using third layer money every day. And if you use PayPal and Venmo, you're using fourth layers of money, money that's connected to your bank account, which is connected to the Federal Reserve banking system, which is backed by United States treasuries. That's what the Federal Reserve owns. And so United States treasuries are now the first layer of money. And the people are using third and fourth layer monies for their everyday needs and their transactions. And it's a very complicated, multi-layered system in the dollar. Bitcoin exists in a way that is not related to anything in that pyramid, anything in that layered system whatsoever. And so it exists by itself, separate from the government money system. And so the way that everything pulls toward Bitcoin in the future is for the current dollar system to be replaced by one that is, is digital token based and things that can be actually traded in, in swaps between platforms with Bitcoin. So I can kind of see the, you know, this future where, you know, Bitcoin is, is the, the truth of the money supply and everything is happening on some sort of trustless, in some sort of trustless manner with Bitcoin. So there's no cheating or anything like that. But, I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space, as well as people in the legacy space, won't believe that story, right? They either say Bitcoin will be co-opted through the layering system and through entrenchment with uh, custodians or whatever, or it's not going to get there. There's a whole bunch of like reasons why a layered, like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, why will a layered Bitcoin system not fall the same fate? of a layered gold system because ultimately treasuries being the reserve asset was because gold got captured. That's absolutely right. And I guess the the answer to your question is whether or not we have the freedom of currency choice in the future. Because if we do, then it it won't matter, right? Because we'll have the freedom to own Bitcoin. But and I was listening to Niall Ferguson on Stefan Levera's podcast And he was talking about how the establishment is going forward with the understanding, too, that gold has been restricted from ownership in the past in the United States. And Bitcoin could be forced to be, you know, be forked over by Western governments as well. But that if we do, in fact, keep this freedom, relatively speaking, then we can hold it, then then we'll be able to hold Bitcoin and it won't, I guess, be captured. But governments might try to fight it. And let me go back to how we'll know whether or not Bitcoin will be the center 
of the new financial system. We'll know if it is the first time we see a major country's central bank announce that they have a Bitcoin position and announce that they have a trader on their staff that trades between their currency and Bitcoin and is actually making a market between their current, their digital currency and Bitcoin, whether it's on exchange or in the, the over the counter market or via atomic swaps. The first moment you see a central central bank, you know, admit that they have a Bitcoin desk, we know that Bitcoin is functioning as a global reserve currency and a benchmark for digital for the digital asset realm. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely makes sense. And I mean, the position that a government could be in to to manipulate the Bitcoin market upwards is much larger than MSTR, right? If we want to talk about speculative attack, but I guess kind of talking about what will central banks do, Ansel and I on FedWatch, the Bitcoin Magazine Macro Podcast, we look into what central bankers are saying a lot. We read into their transcripts, we watch their videos, and from what I see is everyone except for the U.S. is really going gung-ho into quote-unquote digital CBDCs. The U.S., I would argue, is the only system or the, the dollar is the only system that actually has market-delivered CBDCs. I would definitely consider USDC, USDT, and, and the bevy of, of U.S. dollar stablecoins as being market-delivered digital currencies. What do you see from this area? I mean, it's it's a, it's obviously a big news item in 2020. Like, and obviously, you know, central bankers are excited. Yeah, I think that the the Bitcoin FOMO has accelerated again this year, and we've seen central banks around the world test digital currencies for a few years now. And I think the writing is on the wall that they're all coming. The the euro now, the European Central Bank is really moving forward. Uh, They're really progressing. And it's very clear that they are a green light on at least getting all the way to the end with the research and development. I think to everyone, it's obvious that there will be a digital euro. The Fed will probably be last, to be honest with you. But I would argue that they're first because the market is delivering dollars. And I, and I, and so I completely hear that. And what I think what is going to happen is that when eventually the Fed does issue its digital currency, then the market between market delivered dollar coins and the Fed's dollar coin will establish themselves and the Fed will have to, or sorry, the stable coin will have to the stablecoin issuer will have to offer some accrued benefit to the holder over the Fed's issued coin. And that's assuming that people can have access to the Fed's coin in the same way that they have access to the stablecoin. Now, maybe the advantage is privacy with the stablecoin. Maybe the advantage is an interest rate. But whatever that advantage is, there will need to be one over the Fed because the Fed is a better counterparty than whatever stablecoin issuer exists, regardless of, regardless of their proof of reserves or, or whatnot. I think that the relationship between these market-delivered stablecoins and the central bank-issued digital currency will establish itself over time. And for, for now, the market, I mean, the dollar coins that, that are issued 
they can't really be called CBDC because they are not in any way tied to the Federal Reserve's. But they're like digital euro. There is digital dollars. There are do- there's dollar cash instruments that the market demands. The market is absolutely demanding it. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, the euro, the yen, all of these systems have kind of had geography on their side, right? And the internet destroys any geographical barrier. And that's why we're seeing dollar and Bitcoin dominating the, the crypto markets in terms of reserve currencies. Like, where's the demand for the digital euro going to come from, especially as there's more and more like dollar, digital dollar access in Europe? In Bitcoin access, it's a it's a great it's a great point, and it's really about what the governments will try to exercise with it. They might listen. One of the things that people have been talking about for a while now is that CBDCs are a perfect way for governments to give money to the people and you know provide fiscal stimulus or monetary stimulus, or it's kind of a blur when it's a CBDC delivered into the hands of people. It's a combination of a monetary and a fiscal stimulus all at once. And so it's going to be impossible for governments and central banks to pass up this opportunity, especially when the statistics in Europe are constantly screaming deflation. So to answer your question, the, the demand, the emergent demand for a digital euro in the face of marketly, you know, market available digital dollars and Bitcoin, um, you know, might not be as strong, but governments, central banks will find a way to attract people into these currencies, probably by giving it to them to increase the, the, the demand for it. So, I mean, part of moving into a Bitcoin centered world in this layered money, you know, world is, is, what governments can do is restricted by Bitcoin, right? And users kind of have more choice with the assumption that they can always settle to Bitcoin. Like, what what does that even look like if a government is forced to, let's say, peg their CBDC to Bitcoin? And if they can't, you know, if they have to peg it to Bitcoin, just distributing stimulus, like what does that do to the market? You know, the questions that you're asking are, are getting so far into the future. It's, it is hard to imagine how it is all going to play out in a world with currently, you know, a couple hundred currencies issued by governments and then Bitcoin and then all these dollar stable coins and then all these hundreds of cryptocurrencies behind it. It's hard to imagine that that many currencies will exist 10 years from now. And especially if governments go digital currency, we might see a lot of consolidation with countries, just countries consolidating their currency into one digital currency. So it's really hard to imagine how all of that is going to play out and who will be pegged to what and, you know, how much, you know, how many currencies will survive in the, in the digital future? How many will be able to issue a central bank digital currency? This is kind of what you're getting at with the euro. You know, the euro will be able to do it. I promise you that. But what about the country that's, you know, number 100 in the world in terms of its money supply? Will they be able to issue a CBDC that stands on its own two feet and uh, that they can support into perpetuity in a Bitcoin settlement type of world? I mean, it's unlikely, right? It's hard to imagine that 
in the new world where price truth is going to be more vicious than it is in the current system because a lot of the banking world is shrouded in secrecy and quarterly and annual reporting and you know offshore banking and and all these things we don't nobody really knows what's going on in the current system but in the system of tomorrow everything will be to some degree at least auditable here's a here's a good example uh, a central bank issuing a digital currency will likely attract demand to it by sh- giving people access to the ledger you're not going to be able to mine the coin right and or even let's say have any influence on whether a transaction goes through but you will be able to see it you'll be able to see the supply at all times live in theory if a theoretical country wants to attract people to its coin it have an auditable supply these are all very attainable things now with all these distributed ledger technologies that exist and by the way this is already happening the bank of canada and the monetary authority of singapore last year conducted an, an atomic swap using hash time lock contracts between their two digital currencies now the whole process took months to set up this transaction but they made they made one work and they proved that they can do it and exchange two digital currencies for each other in a trustless way issued by central bank so that world is coming that world is definitely coming and how many countries will be able to actually issue a currency in that world i would argue less than the number of countries that are able to issue a currency today So I just dropped an article on Bitcoin Magazine titled The Sovereign Company Thesis and the 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 gist of the article is that when companies truly hold Bitcoin in a trustless way where they're not subject to third party risk they gain immense amount of sovereignty and if they combine that with some sort of juris, jur, jurisdictional arbitrage you know look at Bitmex they're already almost untouchable where do companies that are playing in this new world kind of fit in and I know we're asking cosmic questions but I don't really know where else to take it other than what does the future hold no it's a it's a good question my first reaction would be that that type of thing won't happen with american based companies this is going to happen in countries where there's more you know like a bitmex that it's kind of hopped around and is always trying to find the place where it can operate with the most freedom and the least scrutiny. So I do anticipate that type of thing to continue and we'll see jurisdictions attracting companies that, you know, m- might be sovereign in name, but it they're sovereign because they are registered in a country where, you know, the country doesn't ask any questions whatsoever. So in that scenario, we will see more and honestly, you're going to see major countries do things that will let companies oper- operate more on a sovereign basis like your like in your thesis and you know Switzerland is one that I'm reading about that is just doing a lot to put legislation in place that sovereignty through cryptocurrency is is attainable to some to some extent and it's obviously going to be a, a little bit more strict in a country like Switzerland than in you know one of these island nations for example that is focused on complete blind eye to everything in order to attract business registers 
Where, where do you think that, you know, let's just call it extremely powerful organization that has some sort of sovereignty, do they play a role in this kind of like future economy of like issuing against Bitcoin? Can you uh, rephrase the question? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you see these central banks, you know, and you have, a, you have these theories about central banks and, company, and countries. I'm just saying, where does a massive company fit into that? Can they play ball? Because th- like the part of the thesis is I think that they will be able to play ball. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the future where, you know, the corporations are more powerful than the governments. And I think that is, to some extent, the case already. So no reason that that trend can't continue even further and, you know, companies just end up dominating the landscape. You know, if a com- if, you know, a company like Google or Apple uh, got involved in a serious way in Bitcoin, they had a, you know, they hired Michael Saylor, you know, you, really, you might see that that company would become the most important issuer in the digital realm on the planet potentially. So it, it, it does, there is the potential for a company or co- the private sector to take that role. And there's an opportunity for the governments to take that role. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on and answering my cosmic questions, as well as just telling us a little bit about the book and giving us these sneak peeks. Always love to give the audience a little, a little something special before the book comes out. Why don't you kind of close us out with your last word and uh, plug where people can find you? Sure. So you guys can find me on Twitter at time value of BTC. Layeredmoney.com is the website for my book. Uh, It will be out on January 26th, Amazon Worldwide, Kindle version, print version, and Guy Swan is going to help me out with the audio book as well. So we're really excited for that. I'm really excited to share the book with the world. I've been working on it, guys, for, you know, the research for probably three years and writing it this year and finally, you know, ready to to share it with the world. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if it's anything like any of your other articles or essays that you've put out, I'm sure it's going to be groundbreaking to say the least. So I'm excited to see it. Nick, thank you again so much for coming on. And to all the listeners, you guys can find me at CK underscore snarks. You can find the show at Bitcoin Magazine podcast and at Bitcoin Magazine. Thanks again and have a great one. Thanks, Christian. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.